0: Back everybody to another episode of Memory Lane. We've done a pirate, we've done a Steeler, we've done a Penguin. Now it's time for a Pit Panther. And when you look back at the history of Pit athletics, I can't think of a few. I can't think of hardly any other people who are going to be more interesting to go down memory lane with than a three-time All Big East point guard, a former All-American, Mister. He's throwing up the X right now, Carl Krauser. Joins the salute, show. Salute. Carl, how are you, my man?
1: Let's still breathe, man. Salute to everybody, man. All love, positive energy to the world, RMJ to everybody, and thank you for having me, my man Noah.
0: Glad to be glad to be with you, Carl. And you threw up the X. Let's just start there. I I, I a lot some people learn about the Bronx from the Yankees. Some people learn about the Bronx from from music. Young Noah Hiles was watching pit basketball and saw number 11 going up for a layup and, and X and throwing that X up. And that's how I learned about the Bronx, New York. When did you start doing that?
1: I started doing that around 16 years old, like 15 or 16 years old. You know, um, we was playing in Rucker Park in the most famous Rucker Park in Harlem, New York, the to Rucker, everybody in the EBC tournament. You know, we show love to everybody. We're going to promote everybody. We're going to show love, salute, you know? So playing with these guys, team posse down there, uh, we had a good guy named Bevon Robin who played at Fordham University, Eye of the Tiger. And it was a lot, of, a lot of controversy who was representing better for New York City. Was it Queens? Was it Harlem? You know, was it Brooklyn? And there's a lot of these teams out there and a lot of great players, but, you know, we are the only symbol with the in front of the borough and the Bronx right there, you know, and then at the same time, the X right there that symbolizes in the last letter, you know, in the, in the Bronx. I was like, man, we're going to throw that up. So the, the guy on the mic, Booby boobies we said, where's the Bronx at? And we stood up, everybody, we walked over there. He's like, yeah, the crowd got hyped. That X means something because what people don't understand, you know, everybody says X marks the spot, right? Mm-hmm. So that X marks the spot is in Bronxdale Projects, and outside Bronxdale Projects is like Wakanda, you know, so outside Projects, uh, inside uh, Bronxdale Projects is like Wakanda, but outside, it's like we have love to BX X like a whole globe, the whole circle to the rest of the world. and We are just sold out to the rest of the world. So I would create hip hop and everything
0: else. I mean, that's an interesting story. And just the, the way you always represented your hometown, I thought was really cool. Um, and just we're going to get through your pick career and everything, but the fact that you had some of your best games in your home city, you know, getting to play in the Big East Tournament and everything is, is, is really interesting. But I want to talk more about you growing up in the Bronx. Um, from what I remember watching you, you could describe your game in a, in a lot of different ways, but I think the thing that stood out most about Carl Krauser was he's a competitor. I mean, the, you, the, there would be times where you want, you would rather die than, than lose a 50 50 ball or a rebound or just diving on the floor, doing whatever you yeah. could to get to get, yeah. not even a win, but just win the possession. And yeah. how do you think growing up in New York built that competitive drive in you?
1: It helped me a lot, man, because we have these different games called freeze where the free is where there's like 30 something guys on the court, 20 something guys on the court at any given time that are different ages, you know, and uh, are different, you know, from different worlds, you know. So we're all competing with this one ball and to put in one basket and the game is 32, you know, and you're playing by twos. So, Picture this, I am used to be so short. I used to win the games over all the taller, older dudes. They used to get mad, double team me, and I'm still shooting like this. Man, they used to be pissed, ball, they used to be mad. But i will be out there shaking, working on my handle, because that's working on angles. That's working on getting past multiple defenders, you know, and also playing physical, getting hit out there with your elbow, or, you know, other people headbutting you or tripping you. All of that helps you play through adversity, you know, play through being angry, play through being frustrated, play through a cut scar, jam jammed finger, you know, a jammed thumb, something, anything. So it was like we constantly had to prove ourselves every day in New York City. We constantly had to show that we we were willing to fight and we were supposed to be here. We belong here. So with that said, we're playing with veterans, you know, different veterans that I play with. I've learned how to just channel all of that anger and just bring it out to a positive energy and, and dish it out to your, your, your teammates because every possession counts. That's what we talked about. Every possession counts. Each individual possession counts. I don't care if it's on offense or defense because each individual uh, possession can help you win the game. You know, and at the same time, you know, that loose ball that you, you, you might not think you can get. You might be able to tip it and it hits another guy's leg on the other team. And now you have a possession. Possession hour goes to you. And it might be four seconds left and you giving your chance another team. I mean, you're giving your, uh, your team another chance at a different opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that rebound, that tip out. You know, I'm just saying I always go the extra miles. That's why a lot of people knew about the intangibles I had. The intangibles were special because I learned it from the Bronx, New York. I learned seeing guys like Rod Strickland, you know, Dwayne, God bless Pearl Washington. I worked. I learned by seeing Jamal Tinsley, or Skip Tamalu, for Austin, different guys like that and more. But being in that city, man, they, it prepped you and it got you ready for so much. Because in New York City, when you're 16, 15, you're playing with grown men. It's called the Unlimited Tournament. You know, so we, I played in multiple Unlimited Tournaments at, at 16 years old. And I, at 16, I first played in Rucker Park, too. So... And that's how I got my name, that old black magic. But ble- like being from Bronxdale, playing in the projects with other people that don't really play basketball. And so I would use them, no disrespect, as workout dummies. They would yep. be my workout dummies. <laughs> I know you'll be like, I know you don't really play ball like that. You're out there with Timberlands, with your leg rolled up with your jeans. You know, I got you, baby. Let me just hold you down real quick. Get some of this chef's life. Let me just work on my angles and how to get to these spots. Let me work on my flow that go going on the left. You know, let me work on different things. And this is the things I used to work on. Floater going left, floater down the middle, floater going right, floater from the three-point line. See what I'm saying? Floater from mm-hmm. half court. This is the things that makes you special when you're already practicing these things, the between the legs, Tim Hardaway move, but practice how to stay low. And people understand that. The lower you are, the better you are. So I learned how to be a coach, a teacher. I learned how to be a friend, a teammate. I learned how to be a, a, a solid factor that can help people in any aspect of the game. And that's what people have to understand. You can have, you have to learn to be a role player. So in the Bronx, New York, first, I learned how to just, you know, learn the game individually. And then later I learned how to be a team player. And then I learned how to be a role player. And then I learned how to, and I mixed that all up. And I just took over as leader. So everything my age, I would lead.
0: So I, uh I wanted to hit more on black magic. I mean, you kind of answered a couple questions there. Playing at Rucker Park at 16, take me through an average day of playing at Rucker Park. Is it is it always like organized tournaments? Or is it sometimes it's just you're running fives and and it's uh, just like nah. that all
1: time? Nah, no, we have hood teams and we have people, you know, at different years, we have hood teams. And in different years, we were sponsored by record labels. Different years, we were sponsored by different people, you know. so. Like, my first year, it was funny, you know, because what people don't understand, when I actually filled in for the, for the guy, Bellbound Robin, um, I got my nickname that day, that old black magic, by throwing between the leg passes. But but leading up to there, I was in the park because people knew. I was always working on my game because I didn't want to stay in the projects. I didn't want my family stay in the projects. I didn't want to be... Nobody's nobody's old charity case they're talking about, oh, he's this, he's that. No, I'm a person that's gonna work hard and get my family out. So I used basketball, so they knew I was in the park. My man J-Bo rides by, he sees me, he stops. He's like, hey, you know, you could go to Rucka? Now at this time, I can't go to Harlem. I'm not, you know, my mom's, my mother's trying to tell me, we call our mother my moms, you know, so my mom's are telling me, hey, you better not go over there. You can't go over there, you know? So I never was, like, trying to play that game. So he was, he came by. He just looked like He was like, yo, Bad are coming, and we need you. Yo, that's all you had to tell me. I was prepped and ready. I was already juiced up, playing in Rucker Park. All I could hear is skip to my little alley mode, the Black Widow. All I hear is these guys and my people come back to the park. I was tired of that. I was sitting there like, yo, you know, in New York, we super competitive. I'm sitting there in my head like, yo, I'm better than them. I can't wait to show them, like, I can't wait to show them that I'm better. So, when we get in that call, I mean, we getting that G Cherokee. I'll never forget it. We getting that G Cherokee, and we get on that highway, boy, that Brooklyn Boulevard highway, boy, I was shook. I was nervous. I'm telling you, man, I was shaking like booty meat. I'm telling you. It was different. I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, man, what? All right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to focus and I'm act like I'm not a little nervous because I get, before every game, I get nervous, anxious. Like, I get anxious to do well, but I'm kind of nervous because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's that big question mark of going down there with those pros and those grown men and everything else. What's going to happen? You don't know if it's a shootout. We don't know what's going to happen in Rucker. So, you pull up, we we get there, and there's a garage, like a parking lot you pull into, and all of the stars, Rolls Royces, BMWs, all their cars, and everything. it It looks crazy. People got money out there, music blasting, everybody's doing stuff, girls out there, ladies, everybody. So it looks like a whole like party right there in the parking lot. So that makes you even more a little nervous. Like, damn, they already like, you know, this is nothing to them. They're about to go in there and just play ball, hoop it up. Man, I'm sitting there like, yo, this is how you get your name because in New York City, it's kind of like being a basketball basketball player sometimes. Like you got to be a, like, like you're almost a rapper. you got to go out there and promote yourself. you got to go out there and promote your name and promote your album. you got to go out there and promote your style. You know who you are. So I, I used to have to go to different boroughs and places and, and tournaments to represent who I am in my name. You feel what I'm saying? By yeah. myself. I didn't have the things that guys like Andre Babbitt had or Brandon Knight had or Penny Statico had. These other guys getting help. And everybody, I didn't have that. That's why I was always different. So... When I got there, and then I started walking in with the team, and they putting we putting these big jerseys on. I'm like, oh, I have a fucking jersey on. I have a shorts on. When I seen the lights, and we start walking to the park, my number one thing is it's showtime. The lights is on, it's showtime. I'm like, coach, the lights is on, it's showtime. I just start rocking back and forth, getting ready. Oh my God, oh man, I'm sitting there so hyped. I hear the guy on the mic, we getting close, walking into the park. When this is a typical day, how your nerves feel. Every game you walk into that park. Because it's celebrities, rappers, movie stars. It might be a vice president in there. It might be a, I don't know, your local chairman. It might be anybody. But there's cameras in there. There's people. So what you want to do every time is you. Me, I want everybody to know my name as soon as I get on the court. I want you to understand you're never going to see a dude like this play the game that, the way I play. It's different the way everybody else plays. You know, I have more, but I don't care, but a, a, a structured control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I, I kind of, I bring it out, but I bring it back. You get what I'm saying? Yep. I'll show you some flash, but then I'll show you some control and control the game and control this. But I'll get crazy on defense and go for a steal, but I might get there and get a talk. Oh, you know what I mean? You got to mix it up. I might close out, but I might take back. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I might direct. One coming on this side, big man, one on this side. They running, I got you until you get back. This is how you communicate when you're a young guy. So if I'm doing this thing, when I got to pit it was already too easy. So it was funny when I'm playing against these grown dudes, and, and I played against NBA players and different players. When you get in the Rucker Park, it's so different. It's, it, it's like your heart just beats from out a minute. It's going crazy. When you hear the guy on the mic, he makes you nervous because he's going crazy. You better have some game, boy, boy. Game, boy, boy, boy. You know, Hannibal, my man Hannibal. He's on the mic. He got a WWF belt. But he you know it's a big home big belt leg bigger than Macho Randy Savage belt back in the day, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, he got the mic, he all cocked strong and TV. Yeah, boy, boy boy, you better have some game. You can't come in here and make up your own nickname, boy boy. I'm like, hey. Nah, I'm not on it. I'm not on it like that. I'm good. You watch. So I get a couple of passes, you know, we get down, we get a couple of game going. I'm on a fast break. I throw that between my legs and trap it off here. Look over here. He was like, oh, Now mind you, when I have the ball in my hand, and before that fast forward, when I'm on the layup line, oh my gosh, when I'm on the layup line doing these things here, everybody's dunking, everybody's doing this, I'm so nervous, I'm scared to miss a finger roll in a layup. I'm like that nervous. Like, (laughs) fucker is that insane, like real. So, you know, Mary J. Blige might be there, Ed Lover from MTV Jams, Puff Daddy might come in there. You might see Redman, Metta Man. You might see Camon, Jim Johnson, the dip set come through. You might see anybody, you know? So this is how fun. It was fun. It's fun. Because this is impression. This is fun. This is how you get your name. So you got to compete to show people you belong on this level. So anyway, when I went out there and I did that, after I did that pass, man, like, Everything, all my nervous, all my anxious feeling just went out the window. It felt like it just flushed through my feet, like my feet right onto the court, and I just controlled the court, you know. Until Bevon came. Dang. Soon as Bev came, guess what? Now I'm 16. Soon as Bev come, to the bench. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I'm telling you. Even though I was killing and doing my thing, even though I was killing before, I had to pay my dues and be a role player, and had to, I had to, you know, learn how to follow before I was being a leader. So, would you
0: say you learned more about the game of basketball from playgrounds than you did playing organized basketball, like in high school or AAU? Uh,
1: wait a minute. Let me say, wait. I can't say that. Just that. Depending like, like, no, it, it's it's not that. Uh, you were on
0: a really stuff. good AAU team, were you not?
1: Right, I was on a super
0: good AAU. You played with like Jay player.
1: Williams, didn't you? Jay Williams at Duke. If they forgot, Jeff McMillan played at USC and Fordham University. I played with Paul Bacalls, I played at UCLA. I played with Sammy Dallenberg, played for the 76ers, man. Played for uh, Desmond Howard, was number one New York City basketball player. And we broke Kenny Anderson's record. He went to Seton Hall, UNLV first. Played with one of the best point guards, Buddha guy Larry Jennings, he played in New York City, like a lot of different players, and it just kept switching, like, you know, because people would come from different places, I'll play with you. Reggie Bryant from Baltimore, he played at Villanova and went the same time as me. It was a lot of people, but yeah, man, it, it was, uh I, I would say, you know, it's a different type of learning. It's a different type of learning. When you're learning in the streets, and you're learning, you're learning more life values along with basketball values, you know what I mean? As far as, you know, just being tough on the court so we talking about being tough so not allowing anybody to push you now now not allowing anybody to persuade you to get angry and control you by being angry and taking you out of your game you know that's the part of life and that's a street ball lesson and that's a basketball lesson you feel what I'm saying mm-hmm. what we call tools so it's different when you learn from a coach in college now they're talking about scouting reports learning about your person's tendencies, you know what I mean? How many dribbles does he go left and pull up with, you know, when he likes to go hard, he goes right, you know, stuff like that. So those are different type of like teaching. So I would say I, I, I would, I had a proper amount of both. Probably more, probably more uh, off the court and uh, ball basketball stuff because playing when you when you're playing structured ball and, and and you get to college, you're learning terminology more more so than you're being taught it, it depends on who you are. you know what mm-hmm. I mean Yeah so me I was I was learning more terminology, field cut, you know different like that, close out, stuff like that, you know what I mean and uh in uh in high school and stuff like that or prep school there's no no such thing as field cutting there's no such thing as look, we're gonna watch a film. We watch film on this guy over here. They don't care. Look, you put an athletes on the court, you go do your thing. AAU, athlete's on the court, you go do your thing. Okay, that's it. You know the thing I love best about AAU? My coach, Doc, he, was, he would be so tedious with it. After we come out of McDonald's, get something to eat, hey, get the balls, get the bag. Look, come on out. Now we're going to run plays in the parking lot. So we're practicing our plays in the parking lot of the McDonald's and people going through looking at us. And people like, wow, but you really are getting a simulated version of what, what plays we're running and how to get through them because, like I said, AAU, we picking up new players sometime different weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's different. But when you have a guy telling you in college, man, about these runs, about these different things, you know, about these 21s and these suicides and this other stuff, boy, hey, you got to be with it because... You're trying to get somewhere, so you're not trying to let anybody deter you from where you, you want to be, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. I don't care how many times – sometimes how, – how many times the coach is wrong. Sometimes you just got to hold it in, suck it up, and be like, you know what? All right, let me talk to the coach a little later. Maybe he might see things my way. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes some coaches don't, but, hey, it's the way you go about certain things, and if it doesn't happen anyway, you gave it your best shot, and you did it the way you were supposed to do it, the right way.
0: So you talked about how playing on the playgrounds gives you kind of that toughness, right? And dealing with the life lessons and everything. Do you think that that made you kind of a perfect? I mean, you played in the Big East when the Big East was the Big East. It's not it, what right. they still have the Big East now, but it's not what it was. You know? <laughs> do you think that? because a lot of guys who did well in the big East, they, they grew up around where you grew up. You know, they were from, they were New York guys and they would come and they would play at the Syracuses, the Pittsburgh's, the Yukon. And they would, they would have those that tough gritty basketball. And you saw, do you think that that went hand in hand that they grew up playing that tough brand of basketball and it translated to playing well in that tough brand of basketball at the next level?
1: It does, man. It, it, it man. It plays a big, big, big part because like, if you, go up, if you grow up playing like softball, we can all tell. The people from the you know, the East City, the B-City, like the B-Side, you know, the East Side. You know, we the East Coast, the East Coast. We come from this side, is different. You know, we grew up playing this hard-hitting. Smack you in your face, get right back up, get thrown out the air, caught in the air. You know how many times I got thrown out the air, hurt my tailbone? <laughs> Man, I'm talking about from high school to the court. Football players playing with us, those parts play with us. I'm just saying, it was crazy, man. You got grown dudes tackling you out the air. This wasn't normal in other places. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, what we had to go through was New York back then in the 80s and 90s. Man, God bless these kids' hearts. They couldn't make it. Like, you would be in the house relaxing, or you would have stopped playing basketball as a whole. Like, hey, look, basketball is too Okay. Forget football, forget basketball. Mom, how about baseball? <laughs> Is handball a real sport? You know what I mean? What's like, golf like? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. geez, tennis might be cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was real like, cause it, 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 the Big East was the closest thing you got to the NBA. The Big East was literally from Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, all these dudes. Jerome Junkyard Dog, Derrick Coleman, all these dudes, man. Like, Alan Alonzo and Patrick Ewing. All these dudes, they out there, boom. Those are physical dudes, I mean. Those are big guys. Those wasn't no, you know, skinny minis. They were not looking like KD. They was like Kevin Durant coming down no biggies. What? Even Ray Allen was little chisel on the thing. You know, you seen them on the. That was Jesus Shuttles. Yeah,
0: Jesus Shuttlesworth, man. I mean, he
1: was he wasn't the small. Soft shotty, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was lifting. Listen to the Calhoun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's all I'm saying. Excuse me.
0: Excuse me. You're good. Um, but the build on the big East, I mean, I was looking at some of the players, just the list of guys that you played when you were at Pitt, and we're going to get into your time at Pitt here in a second, but a Okafor, Carmelo, Anthony, Jerry McNamara, Ben Gordon. Yay. Uh, um, what's his first name? Uh, for Rudy. Yeah. Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay. Kevin Pittsnoggle Kyle Lowry, who's still doing it. Uh, Jeff Green, who's yeah. still doing it. Uh, and Roy Hibbert. I mean, these are names. I mean, these are guys that were lottery picks and, and, you know they were they were ballers, and yeah, it, it, everyone just kind of went toe to toe. It didn't matter your pedigree; it felt like because anyone on any team could go off any day in the old Big East. It was just it was that competitive. Um,
1: you are correct on that.
0: So, what brought you to Pittsburgh? I saw that Jamie Dixon played a notable role in your recruitment when he—that was before he was the head coach. Uh, what? What? No.
1: Okay. What? Good, what got you to Pittsburgh? All right, and this is, but this is not against you. This is for people in the whole entire world, in the world. And I want to y'all to make sure y'all subscribe to my YouTube channel, Carl and Check that out, man. Hit hit the like button, subscribe too. And now back to live action. Jimmy Dixon, you get what I'm saying? Dixon was, he was like the quiet, quiet guy on the side. Like Howland would send sometime, like if he couldn't make it. So Ben Howland would be like, Hey Jamie, uh, Carl's over here. Just go, uh, say hi to him. And so I'll be at the AU game, and I will see this shaky-looking dude in the corner, looking creepy, like yo, like he needs a trench coat or something. Like, what are you doing here, man? Stranger danger, stranger danger. Like he was, like... he was sitting there, and be like, standing the thing like. And it's like the the flow, the progressive commercial like flow, like nobody sees you, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have to say something <laughs> like, "I used to die." So when when Howland Ben Howland came to see me in Los uh, I said Los Los Angeles, but um he came to see me in um Long Island at a uh at a Hotschers tournament we was playing, and um he brought the Pittsburgh jersey over to to the hotel room, and when he brought that Pittsburgh jersey over there, it was white and it had you know the blue the blue numbers with other gold type around it, man, and it was looking so nice. I put that thing on me. I'm like, oh, it feels good too, man. And it had the Adidas logo. I was sponsored by Adidas on my uh plant on my AU days. And man, it was so special at the time. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the fact that it was that coach. You know, because I didn't know that coach. He wasn't like a big household name. He just came from a different school, a low school. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So why would I be in awe of him? Why yeah. would I be in awe of Jamie Dixon? To be like, oh, I'm from New York City. I'm getting recruited by everybody else in the world. Why would I be at all? JB Dixon coming there to Silent Assassin. You know what I mean? How's that helping? So I was saying that I wanted to play in the Big East. I wanted my family to be able to come in at Madison Square Garden, where my dad used to sneak and watch games, where Spike Lee goes and watch the games, where Michael Jordan dropped sixty buckets, when Kobe did his thing, when Willis Reed won the chip, when my people was out there singing their song like they couldn't stop singing when people was out there just enjoying themselves in New York City and around surrounding areas and coming in from Connecticut and all over, when you came to see me, I wanted you to understand my family is going to be so proud of me because I have these people standing up in Madison Square Garden and Mecca of basketball screaming Krauser, Krauser or throwing up the edge or one of my favorites, let's go pick. Let's go pit. You know what I mean? That's like it go, It makes me go crazy. It's like and then you hear, da, 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 come on. The team fight song over every fight song at every school. They was, they was mummies. They was quiet. That's what I love. I love shutting people up. I love when you tell me I can't do it, I'm doing it. I love when they told me I couldn't make it to the Vegas and I couldn't make it to college, I did it. You know, when they told me I couldn't graduate with a law degree, I did it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Anything you say, anything. I was doing it, you know what I mean, besides the NBA, God bless. But this college experience representing going out there in that garden, that's part of the reason why I came to pick. Working for Charles Smith down on Wall Street when I was a young fella before I came to Pick, that's a part of the reason why I came to Pitt. See, I used to watch Charles Smith, my dad's a Knicks fan. Anthony Mason was one of my favorite players. I'm watching Charles Smith and the rest of these guys, John Starks, Greg Anthony, and all these other guys hit Elbow, Charles Oakley, rebounding, going crazy. So I have no choice but to adopt that Derek Carper, locking up with the hand check, moving you any way you want, like you're a controller, like he's the analog, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I made sure I took bits and pieces from everybody's game and added it onto mine so I can enjoy this. So when I knew I had the chance to bring my mother and father and my other family members, my sister and brother, my nieces and nephew in the garden to watch uncle play or their son play or their brother play. I was like, man, I got to take this opportunity. And then at the same time, it was a 45-minute, 50-minute flight. You know what I mean? From New York. So I was like, it's kind of easy because I didn't want to go to Yukon. I told the coach early at, at St. Thomas More, tell that man Calhoun. I do not want to go there early. You can stop recruiting. Stop t- sending the tall, light-skinned brother in there. He's not going to help, okay, because he's black. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm cool. I'm not with it, okay? So... Like, I can see through. That's another thing coming from New York. We can see through the bull crap, the 52 fake. We can see through the bull crap. So we don't want to be around people that, uh, hey, look, you know, when I come to practice this today, if I don't really have it like that, this dude is going to try to go crazy and disrespect me. And then I'm going to have to go at him in a way because he thinks he can talk to me like this because he thought it was like every other kid. So I know his pedigree back then. He used to get people in trouble. And get you picked out. So I was like, I'm not joining that. And he's best friends with my coach, and I don't like my coach. And and St. Thomas boys. So why would I go to UConn? Doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. But so you go to, to everybody that big is real.
0: Yeah. So you go. You end up at Pitt. You redshirt your freshman year, but while you were redshirting, you were uh, you were in charge of pretty much helping their backcourt get better, and they had a talented backcourt. Your freshman year with Julius Page with Brandon Knight, what were, what were practices like there? I'm sure they were incredibly competitive every single day.
1: <laughs> nah, practices were super fun. I can't lie, practices were super fun, super competitive, man. We went we went hard every day, man. Like we were we were in that mode where we're throwing each other into the stands, into the chairs, and we're hitting each other and we're doing this because all that built up frustration and, and, and testosterone around men and you have to actually hit and, and do stuff and set screens and stand there, you know, and you look our 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 appearance was built on defense and making stops, you know, and being tough and being solid and and just making sure like I said, you maximize every possession, whether it was on defense or offense. So we have to get the possession. So we worked on blockouts. We worked on closeouts. We worked on all of these stuff, standing up screens. We worked on everything, you know, posing out properly. You're not not running up on the defender so he gets crossed. You know what I'm saying? So we we worked on everything to make us better. And then always contesting shots, jumping to contest shots, not this spook stuff they have these kids doing now with this. That is the worst thing to see people do when you play basketball. Put your hand up like this, and then the dude just lays it up over you or he shoots it over you mm-hmm. like he's never worked on that. We worked yeah. on that every day. So hearing, like, uh, I would try to get, like, Brandon Knight and Julius Page and Jerron Brown more comfortable with their ball handling because we need you to make more plays instead of just, you know, sometimes you got to call us pick and roll. You have to do this, you know. So we need you to work and get more comfortable and get ball handling so you can create something for somebody else or you can just finish and help us win. And then we will we will also – we will also like Brandon will help me coming off the screens left right sometime, proper footing. So then after that, we will help the bigs on meeting the passes and teaching them the angles where we're gonna throw the ball according to the play. You know, so if it's box four and you know, we got that screen, cross screen for Chevy, and he's gonna end up on a baseline, but I'm coming off a a, a a pick right here, you know, and I'm dropping that thing baseline. It has to be the right angle. So I have to bring the ball over properly, the right spot to hit him for that angle. You know, so it's about both people working together. It's communication. And that's what we had. Even though we wasn't cool friends, we all respected each other on that court and had communication because nobody wants to look back. And we all understand we represent the University of Pittsburgh as a whole and our families at the end of the day. So we had to go out there and go hard and practice. Like, we learned and got better every day. And that's all I wanted. I told these people when we come in here, I had to bring that energy every day. I had to because nobody was going to bring that energy. And I knew nobody was going to bring that energy for me. So every day I woke up, I walked up there from Locker Hall, my freshman year, red-shirting. I ran up there. I went to the bottom first, and I run up all the way to the top, you know, to, to the uh, Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, because that's where we was at first, filling the Fitzgerald Fieldhouse. And I would work out, work out, use that as my thing. But I'll show sure those guys what I knew, I'll try to help them out, give them that energy, get them hype and believe in themselves and their teammates. And then after that, I'll stay in that gym and just go to work. But we had some straight boys. I'm talking about playing with Donatus Vakas and Torrey Morris and those big guys, Mark McCarroll and those guys. Man, those guys, Chevy and those guys, they was playing. And they was working because people don't know why I call Torrey Morris Shaq. Shaq used to be dunking on these dudes in practice. I had Shaq look like Shaq. Pow! Dogging that thing, oh, so they'd be like, man, look, you have to understand this. It's showtime here. You know, when you come into to practice, I got Mark McCarroll on the two, three zone catching the back door, Alley Hoop. I'm like, I call him Holler. I'd be like, let's go, Holler, tell him to Holler. You know, I'll get him right. You know, I have nicknames for everybody on my team. I make it up to this day. Everybody that played for Pitt since I played, I gave everybody nicknames. Even Salute to Brad Watermaker out there doing his the thing from Boston. I got to salute you, man. I call him Brad Bob, like SpongeBob, Brad Bob.
0: So <laughs> Brad salute Bob.
1: to you, salute to Philly.
0: That's awesome. All right, so after your redshirt year, you get on the court. As a redshirt freshman, you contribute to a pit team. They win their first Big East tournament, and that was kind of the first pillar of the pit 2000s team. They – they, they win that championship in the tournament and you, you know, you establish yourself as a regular in March madness, uh, even after to years after you left where they, they really, they were one of the powers of basketball at the turn of the 21st century. What was it like to win the big East tournament in Madison square garden, your first year playing college basketball,
1: man, this uh, man, it, it was, it was so crazy. It was a crazy feeling like, I-, I couldn't believe it, for, like, at first. I don't know why it was like, it was kind of weird. Like, it was a weird feeling. Like, it was kind of like, man, this is real quick. And then I seen people actually running on the court. And I'm like, oh, oh. I caught a flashback, like, when the people ran on the court of Syracuse, and they tried to cheat us down there. And I remember that. I hit the kids. So I was like, oh, shoot. Like, in Syracuse, I was like, oh, low, look. And then the kid said, Carl, you won the championship. And I'm looking at, yeah. <laughs> I just start snapping. If they see the video, people see the video of me. I was, like, looking around, looking around, and I'm looking for um, Brandon Knight's friend, which is, my, uh, which is one of my associates, my dude. My people's always looked out for me, old Coop And Omar Cooper, man, he shows so much love, and I was looking for him, like, yo, because I told him, we win this, I'm looking for you, I'm bringing you on the court. I don't care what nobody said. So I was looking for him, because I knew he was sitting closer than my family was. So I looked for him first, and then when and got him and brought him on the court, and that was one of the first people I was hugging and going crazy, and I'm looking, and I was just so happy because you know what? At the end of the day, I was a, I was a follower too and working to be a leader of the team. And I learned, you know, mean? and we uh, all of us were role players. We all played the role, you know, and it was fun because no matter what, we knew we had to play defense to win games. And we had to stick together and communicate to win games. So that's what we did, man, and that's what made the Big East trip more fun. Coach Howland changing and becoming more of a player's coach You know, all the other coaches just relaxing a little bit more, trusting in us because we were older people. We were older older men, young men. So we came from different backgrounds of struggle and toughness too and and preservation, man, and we knew how to get through things. And just to see, you know, different guys, like I said, like Tory Morris and those guys and uh, uh, Mark McCarroll and those guys raised, uh, you know, cut their piece of the net, you know, because they don't get that that many minutes, you know. But sometimes people feel like they didn't play a big part in the success. And I wanted to tell all of those guys, you guys played a big part in our success because we were all together. You know, we believe that t shirt all came together. You know, we all we got, that all t shirt came from together from uh, Team Progress. And I just wanted to say, man, it was a, a blessing, it was fun experience that it was a humble opportunity and to win at home in new york city to win a championship on the big stage i i'm i'm like humbled and super blessed i'm super happy too
0: and you did it against yukon right
1: did it against yukon that, that you didn't the want to play for team. <laughs> the team i didn't want to play for what you know that was crazy too man because I got some calls from my St. Thomas More buddies from Connecticut, you know, in different places. They was like, man, did you see what's you call them in? Did, did, did Coach Quinn come or did Calhoun? What was Calhoun face like? And man, it was too funny. Cause I seen even people that I used to go to school with in St. Thomas More, they went to Yukon and they came up. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I seen them, you know, outside and stuff. And it, it was like a mix, it was a mixed feeling, but like a super great feeling to be Yukon because I'm tired of. Think, all right, everybody knows the college basketball, we got cheat teams, okay? UConn is one of the cheat teams, Duke is one of the cheat teams, and we have a couple other cheat teams, okay? We had to go through stuff from get it from the mud. When we had these terrible sneakers they used to rip open, when we had those nasty Aero Pastel sweatpants with no pockets, when we had them Central Park jogging fans going on from the 1970s, man, it was horrible, okay? This is the worst thing that happened in life. If you're gonna tell us we to go out there and represent our sweatshirts would look like t shirts. Okay? The thing is just going straight down. Like, man, what was that? What did you give us? Okay. Our panther look like a cat, like a regular cat, like a house cat. You get know what I'm saying? So we yeah. had to go out there and change our whole image. That's what that's what I'm saying. we worked hard because we felt so disrespected. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? That's oh, what 1,000%. made it more important. So that's what made it more important.
0: Wrapping up your freshman year, uh your retro freshman year, um you guys bow out in the Sweet 16 uh, to a guy named Dwayne Wade. Uh, when w- watching that one, and that's a painful one, I know. I'm sure that – but when you were playing him at that point in time, were you – was there any idea that you're like, man, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer? Like, was, was it that obvious mm-hmm. then or no?
1: I had a Hall of Famer. I mean – But you knew he, he was, was going to be a stud? I knew dude was going to be tough and a star. yeah, facts. Facts, like a facts, like a star, definitely. I, Cause I watched Dwayne Wade his sophomore year and junior year. Sophomore year he had this big crazy knee brace on his knee, and it was metal. And I was wondering, and they're playing, excuse me, they're playing in a little gym, and he's playing for Marquette, catching these oops, Oh, going crazy. I mean, swinging on the thing. I was like, yo, and then he had game, like he had nice game, mid range, all of that. He was just letting it out, and I seen him. I watched him a couple of games, so I was like, yo. It's going to be cool to play against him one day. That's his sophomore year. The next year, junior year, he comes back with a lighter knee brace. I was like, yo, he has a lighter knee brace. That means he's going to jump higher and more people's in trouble because he's more in shape. He's different. I said, oh, man, yo, look, man, this is going to be fun playing against him. You know, like, look, Danny, NCAA, uh, NCAA tournament comes, and I found that we actually have a shot to play against him and get this. And I'm like, oh. My head, I'm like, yo, he ain't gonna try that on me. I'm locking him up. We ain't trying to hear that. Like, you know how many people's watching at home and different stuff, and they know I'm known for defense and everything else. Man, I'd be crazy. Anyway, I never got a chance to guard him too much. I got a chance to guard him a little bit, matter of fact, and, but not too much. But what he did in that second half to Jerron and Julius, and then for them to come up to me later, later on down the line, years later, and tell me that they were tired excuse me, and that they wasn't in that much shape, I was like, look, you should have told dude to switch, okay? Tell somebody else to switch. We need this. Because Keith Bogan, who I killed in uh, AAU when he played for DC Assault with DeMar Johnson and them, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Hey, man, he was playing. He was out for Kentucky. That was our next game. He was out. So I'm thinking just like everybody else, we could win this whole thing because we had a great team to win the championship four years in a row, national championship. And it's always something that stopped us, a pivotal moment or something else. But Dwayne Wade, I'll take my hat off to him. But what people don't understand, it wasn't it was Dwayne Wade a lot, but this guy, man, the big fella that was playing down there, it was a big, big fella. I forget his name. And Novak and Steve Novak. Those two dudes, when they came in the game in that second half, it made all the world a difference. When they hit a three, a couple of and ones down low, it got different. Even though Dwayne Wade sparked the 23 points in the second half, we still had a shot. And that's what I was just saying about our team. We never give up, we never quit. But taking that loss down there was terrible because after the game, our coach leaves us. The coach that came to my house, that walked in my house and my my projects, I allowed up the steps. It could've got different, but I allowed you to come up. And you promised my family. You looked me in my eye and told me you was gonna help.
0: We're going to get right back to my talk with Carl Krauser. But first, a word from our sponsors. You were telling me about Ben Howland coming up to uh, your, your, apart- your mom's apartment, your mom's house. Um, and, and recruiting you. Uh, take, me through, take me through all of that and how you felt after he left.
1: Oh man, when he, when I found out they do, uh, they have home visits, I was sitting there like, man, this is crazy, this is cool. You know, he gets a chance to see where I'm from. Maybe this guy, you know, actually cares about where I'm from, because if you know a New York City person, you know, we're big on trust, you know, we're big on those values, you know, if you have any type of family values, we're super big on that because our family teaches us not to trust people, not to go into people's houses or cars, you know, not to believe anybody, not to take things from people, you know, so when you have these people and their jobs are to trying to kind of persuade your parents and yourself to come help the university win, win games so they can earn money and stuff like that, we have this concept already, we get this part. It's another form of hustling, you know what I mean? So we watch people hustle New York all our lives, it's easy. One plus one is two, never two and a half, you know what I mean? So this is what I be saying, I tell people all day, keep it infinity, never keep it a hundred because numbers can be broken down easy. So when this guy came in, I was like, man, this is a dude, man, he, he, he might, you know, overlook all the bull crap somebody might have said about me and he's gonna give me a shot. So why not let him meet my people? You know, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother was in there, and and he came in. He seemed like a cool guy. He seemed like he was humble, nice. You know, like he was somebody to believe to an extent. You get what I'm saying? He didn't come in there and try to blow any smoke up anybody's, you know, and any lies, or anything. So I, I kind of was cool with that. And then the fact that we talked about, you know, playing somewhere else and playing the Big East and early flight. The things he did say was. That, that really called us that he can get my mother and father flights, my sister and my family, everybody, my brothers and everybody, we can get, like, flights, you know, to come down to see me play in Pittsburgh. So it just won't be a New York City thing when you see me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because who, what parent wouldn't miss their kid, you know, what family, sibling, whatever wouldn't miss their, their other sibling, you know? So throughout the years and the time, it just never was happening, you know? And so when Howland left, that all stuck in my head. Like, when he came in there, he talked cool. We went over the letter of the tent. We talked about everything, safety, you know, being another parent, an extension of my parents out there because that's what the coaches are. But, you know, that responsibility is serious, and I don't think some of them will take it serious, and I don't think they're held accountable when you bring and take kids from their home and from their family members, and you're supposed to be the one watching them and looking over them and taking care of them these people just jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. Like, all these coaches, since I've been watching before I played, I've watched people get jumped, you know, people leaving and left, get left. I'm like, you know, that's not going to happen to me. And, look, dude leaves me right after a tough game, too, like that. You know, the, you know, three we're about to get to the Elite Eight. It's about to be crazy. We're in the locker room all hyped up second half, you know, and then after that, once, he, once those guys said, forget Donato Sabakis and leave his sneakers off, I knew something was fishy, like something didn't add up. Because why wouldn't you want the guy that's, what he was like, four for six or something like that. He was like, he only missed two shots. He was, he was lighting it up. And he stepped him out, took his sneakers off. So all of that played the part when you didn't go down there and console one of your players and let them know, you know, during the game, you can let them know, hey, come on, we need you. Let's go. Send one of the coaches down there. Get him hype, something, something. It took me to go down there to get him to put his sneakers back on, and then to come back to the game. And by that time, they was like, "Get him!" And I'm like, my overall thinking, like you said earlier, I will almost rather die than lose or lose a possession or anything. Mm-hmm. So you know, I showed you. I went above and beyond to help a dude, grown dude, get his sneakers back on, help the team. It was way more about it. It was more than me. You know what I'm saying? Yo, to see some dude take his sneakers off my life and do that, I never seen it. But to see the coaches not care, after that, I knew was something coming. Later on, we lost that game. We go in the locker room, and I'm sitting there like, it's about to happen, you know. And his first word is like, you know, I'm sorry to the singers. I'm sorry to everybody. You know, and he, he goes on a little, not a long speech. He just goes on a little deal about, you know, uh, how things happen in life. You got to score the hard, you know, to the singers. You know, you played great. To the returning guys, you know, there's going to be some changes and things like that. And he's and then he's hitting on, you know, you guys have a great life, you this and this and that. It was great knowing you, but I'm saying like, oh, what's coming next? It's like a butt or something coming next when you hear this type of talk. And he's like, you know, everybody, you know, everybody just have a good life. You know, I, I have a new opportunity and this is that. You see, later, you know, when you hear rumors about coaches going places and. You hear from different people, and you're just like, as a player, nah, he didn't come to us like, you know, he, he would come to us or anything. Like, you know, just like a hint, a talk. Like, you know, we got to hear from other people, and that that hurt us. You know, it hurt all of us, even the people that was leaving, because you know what, man, coming from New York City, man, and come from different places, we wanted to, we went through a lot. We went through a lot as kids dealing with this AAU, this prep school thing, waiting our opportunity, waiting our time. Some of us didn't have good relationships with our coach and practice and, um, or, I mean, in, in AAU, prep school, high school, you know, junior high school. So we were looking at least, at the least, when we get up to college, we have grown people that's different. You know, they're supposed to be different prestige people, supposed to be different people. They're supposed to be different people that understand different things. We you know, has been through adversity, who's overcome different things, you know, but it's like they don't, it's like some of them don't understand people. They don't know how to deal with certain people. You know they don't have that 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 verbal communication, they don't have that physical communication, they don't have any type of communication with these guys. You know, all these ladies. And we all go through that as athletes, period. In general, even people in the workforce go through that with their leader and bosses, you know, shaky communication. Shaky relationship is shaky communication. The deal's the same thing. It goes together. If you have good communication, your relationship should be easy. It should be, it should be like effective, very effective. So when he came and did that, man, and they was talking about, you know, the plane was already gassed up, the plane was already gassed up for this dude to leave right there. I said, wow, the dude got on a UCLA jet. If I don't care. I like Ben Howland to a certain extent, but yo, and I appreciate what he says and when he tells the truth about how hard I made the practices and how I uplifted every practice because that's the truth. Every year I was there, all four years. So... I say that to say this, man, it hurt me to my heart, like, personally. It hurt everybody else. We talked about this. It hurt me more personally because I thought I was finally going to have, like, a relationship with a coach. Besides, my high school coach was like, you know, it was a little relationship. He helped me, read poems to me and stuff like that. That's what got my motor going because I understood different things that other kids did. You know, I was, I was involved different. So... When, when Howland did that, man, I, you know, I went – I just didn't want to talk to him. I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated because I knew after that I wasn't going to have a solid relationship um, relationship with, with a coach yet. You know I mean, with a coach, period. Because if we want – if these guys want to fight for Jamie Dixon to be a coach, I already – we we all seen what, what type of passive guy he is, like the people, the players. We know him more personally than other people, you know? So it's like, you know, having him is like – Having him become the head coach is like an easier thing to deal with, but mm-hmm. and Howland man, him leaving crushed my heart, man, crushed my heart.
0: What was the transition to playing for Jamie like? You said, I mean, you knew you w- did it make it any easier because you did know him, and did you guys
1: did you get along with Jamie? Did you like Jamie? What was that like? I used to try to get Jamie Dixon to break out of shell. I was the dude defending Jamie Dixon when when Julius Page and Jerome Brown were mess with him and diss him and Tory Morris and them guys would be like calling them Jamie, get out of here, Jamie. No, Jamie, like, yo, practices used to be so crazy. We used to get kicked out of practice sometime. I'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not, But I told you, I'd rather die (laughs) and not get better to not do certain things. We're not wasting my time. I didn't come here to play with rinky-dink people and go through this rinky-dink stuff. I came here to execute this stuff, execute my plan, get better, and get to the NBA, take care of my family. That's it. I didn't come in. I wanted to win championships here and different things like that and accomplish certain things. But I wanted to win. I wanted my teammates to win because I know we all win. We all look good. And I wanted to get to the NBA. That was it. I didn't want people calling, like, the head coach his first name and stuff like that because now when we see stuff like that and that disrespect, it just takes me back to where? New York City. So now we back in the New York City uh, uh, type, of, type of situation where now I got to tell dudes to chill out. I got to tell grown men to relax. Stop talking to the coach like that. Yo, chill, look, we trying to get through this practice. If Dixon kicks us out, now I'm telling Dixon, calm down. Yo, relax, I'm telling him, chill out. Look, we want to practice, okay? Yo, everybody come back here, because you know some dudes just going to walk through <laughs> They leave it. Yeah. Man, you tell them go ahead and practice over there. out. Yeah. It's, we going to keep this infinity. They will leave. Yo, no, look. Come on. Right here. No, we ain't leaving nothing. We're going to get better. And then we turn around, practice be Crazy. Right after you're about to kick us out. Crazy. Fun practice. Hitting hard. We high-fiving each other. People working on the moves, doing the moves right. And now he's seeing the power. Now Then Jamie Dixon sitting there like, hmm. You see what I'm saying? I took the smoke off him. Took the fire off his back. Get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So now yeah. everybody's back in here because yeah. these guys are realizing it's more than him; it's bigger than him. I told these people, don't you ever let nobody take your smile. And guess what he's gonna do if he puts you in the game? Serve you out. So you might as well get yours while you in there and play as hard as you can. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. Uh, so under under Dixon, you really become the leader of the of those last three seasons, and you led the team in scoring all three of your final years there, and other categories as well free throw percentage assists and everything. And um, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, but you mentioned how you love playing an MSG your final game at Madison square garden was in the Big East championship your senior year. And I think you had a career high and while you didn't win that championship game against Syracuse, it was a really good game and you had one of your better games. What was it like? Obviously I'm sure you're upset about the loss, but what was it like to go out playing in the Mecca, playing your best ball?
1: It was huge, man. It meant a lot, you know, because now I know, you know, I'm knowing, I'm realizing more stuff. I'm going through stuff, but uh, not seeing my son, you know, and not playing, uh, at, and at, that affects people, you know, when you have a kid in college and stuff like that. So I have to always stay mentally strong. Like I, I had no room forever, you know, because somebody's always looking for something from the New York City kids. So when I get there, and I'm sitting in the hotel and I'm just wondering, you know, my family and friends are gonna be watching, everybody's gonna be watching, associates, people that don't like me, do like me, you know, people that might've went to school with me a little bit. I'm sitting there like, man, this is huge. Championship, I made it again. And I'm like, let's go because the last year we got cheated by uh, the coach, I mean, the refs against West Virginia and we got out of there uh, fast. So I'm like, we're not doing this again, no way. Like, no. So. That game against Syracuse, man, in the hotel, I made up my mind. I was like, you know, I know they're gonna double team me because I just came off one of my career highs, at uh, in in uh, in Pittsburgh against Syracuse a couple of weeks ago, a week ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just fried them for like thirty something. So. When I um came back, I knew they was going to double team. I knew they was gonna do this and make some adjustments as you're supposed to do. You know, it's not like they play any type of crazy defense, they play two three they zone. The
0: same, yeah, they played the same defense for the last 30 years. Yeah,
1: two, two three zone, long yeah. on the let's rotate, limited yeah. talking. We're just gonna get out there, the rep qualified, qualified, but rotate and move. Yeah. Rebound and let's go get it to McNamara Showtime. We got it. Yep. So it was the same thing. And then man to man, we knew they can't guard us man to man. But the thing is, if you don't have people finishing, it it, it uh, and you're getting double teamed, it makes it a lot more tougher for you to get yours. Because if you just seen the guy get thirty something on you at the at his gym, and you know he's from New York and he's coming home, what do you think he's trying to get? Forty something. The guy be trying to. That has to be the marker. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on um, that was my that was my thought too. At least I was gonna get thirty or forty. Like I wanted thirty or forty, literally. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. So I seen, they seen I was, I was going to start off aggressive. So I start passing more to get these guys involved. And I seen my teammates nervous and scared. And I was just like, man, and then look, it's not the time because we have the worst rep in the world. Jim Burr, Tim Higgins, those are the worst reps. They hate us. They hate it to the death. They cheated us. Almost every game we have lost in my career, they have been there roughing. Literally, through that history, they're going to be amazed. They're going to be like, wow. Like, so I knew it was like a lot of things leading up into this game. So I was like, man, they're not going to let after the whole Jerry McNamara story with, with, with Beham cursing and standing up for him. I and mean, this, this, and that. Picture if J- uh, Jamie Dixon would have did that for me. Can you even picture Jamie Dixon cursing? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was the whole story, especially what's going on now. We, you know, we're not talking about each other. We, you know, we both, we don't have no racist bones in our body. But it was the black versus white story. We can't let this black kid win who we don't like, who always throws up the X, who's animated, the XG, you know what I mean? Yeah. Representing He's always floating his dirt. He's going like this. And he's going to... And he got this, the other white kid with the white coat and the Syracuse, New York, and it's a legendary Bayhound. Coach, come on yeah, now. It was a no-brainer. We knew we was going to get cheated, but we was just still trying to compete. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, hey, even though we've won games with refs trying to cheat with these other Cinderella stories, we've won these games and we've proved people wrong. So I know if I can just get these guys to just believe a little bit more, stop being a little bit nervous and timid, we can go. But when I seen one of my teammates crying at half court, I mean halftime, I just knew it was going to, I I didn't know how that was going to go. You know, when you see yeah. a grown man, grown dude, hey, man, <laughs> just got to keep it in I'm not going to say the name. I'm not doing yeah. it. it we just show love. But when I seen them crying and then I seen other people nervous in the locker and I'm just like, wow, I'm, I'm consoling them. You know, I'm not making fun of them. I'm like, yeah. everything's going to be okay. I got you. You know what I mean? This is snap. We're going to get this and we're going to win. They're soft. They can't do nothing to us. We're going to you know. So everybody got hype. When we came back out. This one play, man, to this day it makes me mad. Like, I can't stand Jim Berg or Tim Higgins. Like, I don't like them to this day. Like, I don't ever <laughs> want to see them in life. Like, to have a person, and, and, and mind you, in this game, they have Sherman Douglas there, they have all these Syracuse alums sitting in the front, going down on this court, going down like uh, on, the, on the left side. But, man, they are sitting there, Derrick Coleman is drunk, where all these other celebrities, Alan Griffin, these dudes talking crazy to me. And if you remember at that game, I got an N one I was like, oh, talking crazy to, and I was talking to Derrick Coleman, and I was, pointing at, I was pointing at him, talking crazy, like, we gonna win this, I ain't scared of none of y'all, I was going crazy, like, because dude, there's nobody in the world that's gonna scare me, so you might, you not gonna pump my people either, man, look, they on my team, I got them, you not doing nothing to them, nobody around me, so, when I seen that, and then when we start coming back and rallying and my dudes start doing this, I was like, yeah, we got this. Now they're scared. Then when Jim Burr started calling to the, the cheating calls up, yo, it, it was like you, you had, you, you didn't know what to say. Like mm-hmm. It was like, then I told him, I was like, uh, I gotta play. And I told Jim Burr, I was like, I scored, and he didn't, he didn't call a foul. And I ran and I was like, so what? I don't need you. I don't need you. Like, cause he told me, he was like, this is this is true story. This is real true story. You're getting the exclusive right All here. All right. Man. Bird told me, laughed at me, said, <laughs> you think I'm gonna let you win this by yourself? <laughs> gotta be kidding. I was like, I don't care. I don't need you. And that's when I got the tech. And oh. I got the tech. Then people didn't know what happened. I was like, man, I don't care if you're a rep. You're not gonna talk to me crazy like you some cop. And I don't care if you're a cop, but there's gotta be respect here. They used to tell Jamie Dixon, shut the F up during the game. Well, i be playing. I'm like, come on. If we, come on. How, so now how are we going to win? They're not going to call a foul now. They don't respect him. So then we got this. And then we got, we got the guys missing layups. Now they're missing layups underneath the basket. You know, so now we need this. We need this momentum. We need something to somebody, right? So I come down and hit my threes. and hit my threes, get my buckets. Now, I hit a couple threes in a row. I get us close. The biggest player of the game now if you, like anybody that has eyes, anybody that has ears, that heard the commentary of the game, listened to it on the radio, that's watching the game, seeing that when I pumped fake for three, Jerry McNamara jumped on my neck and my head, and I went up to shoot the ball for three, and then it called a foul, and we was down three. Like, what else do you need? What yeah. do you want? Like, refs, help. Somebody, help. I was sitting there like a movie. Help me, help me, please. Help me, please. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> You want to do literally? Whole body jumped on my head while I'm shooting a three. Everybody in the crowd is going crazy, and literally, it took my life, it took everything in me that my mother and father taught me not to knock that man out on the court. I almost literally leveled Jim Burr and went to Tim Higgins and two-pieced him-like that was that close. Yo, it would got crazy. Can you imagine that me going over there one bang Jim Burr, pow and then go, I'm like this. Oh, after guard. Oh, mm-hmm. this guy's done. You know. So, like I said, you have to. You got to. You have to like show a lot of strengths, man. In this game, man, you have to calm yourself down a lot. In this game, it's a physical game. It's a high energy game. People are showing a lot of emotion. It's a very passionate game, you know. And uh, when you get cheated like that, man, and you're like you're focusing on the goal, you know. And you're telling your family and friends and people you're gonna achieve this goal. You get what I'm saying? Like it's it means more. And these people aren't appreciating how hard you work. You're only looking at my skin complexion. You're looking at the legendary coach, uh, Jim Behan. You're not looking at the work we all put into. You're looking at the little fairy tale story. Yeah. It was made up by this man. He got it hype. Right. Nobody's like, come on, the dude playing ball. Now, not to say, I'm not taking it uh, against your McNamara, because the game against Georgetown, and uh, it was another guy I think was Cincinnati, man. He killed them boys. He went crazy on them boys. And he that had a was
0: great crazy. tournament all
1: together. That
0: Thank
1: year. you. Yeah. And that was a salute, but it just wasn't matching what we was doing too four nights. You know what I mean? Four days, four nights. Like, we was there. We here. And we playing with different type of people. So uh, with the fact that we're playing with that type of coach under the stress that we have and everything else, and these guys are playing carefree, it's like they knew they was going to win. Yeah. And I was like, looking at McNamara, i talked to him about that a little later. And you know, that's for another time. I can't hit you with that later, but he knew what went down wasn't right. And mm-hmm. it, it meant the world to me to hear that, but at the same time, it would have meant the galaxy and the universe to hold that trophy up in New York City in front of my family properly and rightfully so as the champion of the Big East, yeah. at the Big East tournament, because that would have helped our stock too for the NBA. And that would have helped out NCAA um, seeding, which we always got jerked in the tournament in the seeding. So we got
0: the three seed, even though you'd win the Big East. Yeah, that didn't make sense. They didn't start getting one seeds until, like, they were like, okay, Pitt's made the Sweet 16 about 30 times now. Maybe they can be a two or a one. I I never got that either.
1: Because they never respected Dixon or the Pitt program. That's what I was saying, because there was nobody fighting and speaking up for that. Mm -hmm. So – we needed more people speaking up for us as a team, and we needed more people speaking up for the university as a whole. Like, this was ridiculous. We're breaking records in the Big East, like, repeatedly, like a bunch of records. We're stopping people, holding people, doing this, and this, multiple wins in a row. Nobody in college basketball won more games than I did over 83%. I was killing it. Like, so how don't I get to the NBA? I'm just saying it's a lot of stuff that was going on where people were doing behind closed doors and it wasn't right. And it wasn't my game. And it wasn't the fact that anything that happened with Jamie Dixon, because I never got locked up. I never, in Pit, I never got in trouble with Pitt. I never fought a teammate, Pitt, none of that. Mm-hmm. This is what other people on Pit has done and got shots in the NBA and mm-hmm. other places. So you tell me. That's what I'm saying to everybody in the world. I want y'all to think. When I put out this stuff in my episodes and respect my journey, I want everybody just to think and take a second and look. Because there's interviews like this that makes it better for guys like myself and other guys that have great stories, great journeys. And we need this to be put out in the proper way so people can understand and relate to it and just really maybe, you know, choose to do something about it or choose to share it or speak about it or share it with kids or anybody else because it isn't easy out here. And kids, everybody think they can make it to the NBA because I'm good, because I'm this. Now, you see, it really doesn't matter sometimes about your game. They say in NBA 2K, well, Doris Burke says it. She says, well, if you're good enough, the NBA will find you. Uh, Doris, would you knock it off, lady? Kick off your heels and relax your feet like they say in the song. This is not the truth. Okay. NBA, the NBA is a great league, super duper great stars, awesome place to play. Just, man, just, just a uh, a class act, class A place. But at the same time, it's, it isn't perfect. It has flaws and there's people in there with flaws that works in there, you know, and these people try to do favors for other people. And we guys like me get caught up in some of these favors. So and I, got, I get caught up in lockouts. I get caught up in a bunch of stuff that's out there. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you don't have the proper agent that's going to uh, ask for the proper favor or anything else, then you're going to be out there just stuck. What
0: What would you say the main reason would be that you didn't make the NBA then, to be more specific on uh, the, the favors? I'm
1: being blackballed. I got blackballed.
0: Why did you get blackballed?
1: Being blackballed. I got blackballed because – well, I'm going to say this, man. I'm going to say this in, in, in a short, short version, man. Short, short version. When you believe in some type of religion, and it's not like I was super boisterous about it or anything else, but once I, I seen when I told certain teams I believed in God and I love God and different things like that, and I was crossing, like crossing over to Christianity, uh, Christianity, and I was working more on myself and becoming a better person, I seen that made people go to the left a little bit. They were shaking.
0: Really? Because of your Christianity?
1: Yeah, and I seen how that hit Mark Jackson. <laughs> I seen how to hit Mark Jackson. He hasn't been coaching yet, and he spoke about
0: it. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I never really considered that to be a thing. But, I mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm taking your word for it. It's just, yeah. Well,
1: it's a thing. It's a big yeah, thing. Fair it's enough. Thing. And, um, uh, yeah, think about it. I shoot better than Rondo. My shooting percentage is better than Rondo and the rest of these dudes that was in the NBA before me. That that was in that was in my class. I worked out against Rajon Rondo in Toronto Raptors camp and killed him. So in front of, but guess who was the guess who was one of the coaches there? Jamie Dixon's friend for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Jay Williams is there from Duke and William Avery. They both watched me do it. So I'm just saying, like, there's a lot that goes on because I wouldn't join certain groups. That's another one. What groups? <laughs> Yeah, baby, it gets different, man. But I wouldn't be a Mason, and I wouldn't be another another one that starts with the I. So, and I wouldn't join any fraternities and frats, every one of them. So that was another one.
0: Okay, interesting another enough. One. So life after Pitt, you guys uh, – I guess w- one quick question. We don't have to get into a, a long answer with this, but uh, the Bradley loss that ends your career at Pitt, would you say that was the most – like the toughest pill to swallow out of all the, out of all the losses at Pitt. I mean, because you, the, the first two years you were there, losing to – I remember when the Oklahoma State lost, Dixon's first year, I thought that was your best team. And I, I thought that – I mean, you, you mentioned like the D-Wade thing in your path might have been better for the Final Four, but that was Taft. He was playing great that year. You were having a really good year. I mean, I just thought you guys had that the depth – yeah, that was, and- you're correct.
1: You're correct. That was the best team. That was our uh, literally the best team. That that uh, that next year with Chris Taff and everybody like mm-hmm. bananas. It was crazy.
0: So was that? Was you say Oklahoma State was the toughest loss, or was it Bradley just because it was an upset?
1: I literally think it was specific. That Pacific. That was that was Pacific. It was the worst thing. And this is thing. This is something I'm gonna put out in my book, man. I played with people at Pitt that shaved punch. Something that was illegal. Something that was shaky. And I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to put it in my book, though. But uh, I play with people that share points. And I gave somebody six open layups, man. Missed six open shots around the bucket. All for a few uh, thousand dollars, man. Not even $2,000, but like crazy stuff. So like when you go through stuff like I went through, and all the the tough stuff I've been through, and you see how I had to 52 fake it and smile, go out there, keep my energy, keep this. All this stuff I knew already. I was approaching Club Matrix to shave points before. Never did it to to even even reach the what's what's that that crap called the the spread the over under total spread man <laughs> man I told that person don't you ever talk to me like that again I'll knock you out and they never asked me again. You so were players I mean?
0: asking you to help you do this?
1: Players? Yeah, no, like- no, it was off the court people. Off the court people asked because players two two yeah two, three players were actually doing it already. Three
0: players, Three players were doing that. Was it just that year or was it throughout your entire career Pit. pit?
1: See, now that's my thing. I couldn't even, like, answer right there because I don't know. But I know once I got a whiff of it, and because I knew, like, you know, when certain people, if you know, you just know certain people are crazy finishers or crazy, you know, good bucket finishers or whatever, whatever. And now all of a sudden you're throwing a damn ball over the rim. Yeah. Now, it's like, you're looking crazy, missing stuff. Now the ball's getting stuck in the, the rim and the back ball. Now it's like, you know, just weird stuff happening. Yeah. Now you're just letting people go like you're a matador. Now it's like, you know, different stuff. And this is after. Now I'm catching on in the game because I have to maintain the game. You mm-hmm. know, time clock management with the ball to score the points. So you, if you've seen some games, I would just take over and start, bomb shooting, get buckets, get to the line because I'm starting to pick up on the ball crack and that's when people ain't see. I start taking over at certain times. I start peeping. I start looking. I see on little shaky stuff. Then I take over and I do my thing. So you had multiple teammates point shaving. Multiple and- teammates point shaving. And I got to be sitting there. There's people at pit looking at me like I'm a creep. Like I'm this. I'm that. I'm the one that was going hard fearless for y'all. I'm the one that was breaking my fingers and my strode and my labels and everything for yeah. y'all. I was the one doing this. And how you going to like look at me? Like I'm a creep. Like, that was crazy. Did Jamie Dixon know anything about this? A lot of people know a lot about a lot, man. Jamie Dixon knew about a lot of stuff. He just didn't want to say stuff. Just like he knew about a lot of stuff that was going on here behind closed doors. He didn't say anything because he's a passive guy, man. He's not going to speak up for anybody. Like, he's not really going to speak up for too much, man. So it it was frustrating, you know, losing the Pacific. It was like losing a bunch of park dudes from the West Coast that didn't wear socks. Like, you know, they, they didn't even have footies on, man. Like, <laughs> it was like, man, at least go get the footies. Yeah. man did go get the footies, man. If they dudes, it was the worst. And we got Nate Robinson's scary self over there talking trash. So I'm out there hitting threes. Bow, I had 26 real quick, screaming at Nate Robinson, this, this homeboy over there. But I'm trying to get my people over here hyped. We had one dude average zero point, on that team, average zero point three points. Had twenty two points. The other guard had he averaged with two points something like that. He had twenty six. He was killing Antonio Graves and a number of different people. So I'm trying to like go switch. I'm flip flopping when when this dude is killing about my Oh no, look switch. <laughs> look again. Bah bah, bah, bah No no look switch again. Oh here goes the big guys. Now they're killing us on pick and pops. Now they're killing us on on, on tips. When did somebody start killing us on a rebound that look like these people? Now, you have to watch all the other games. You see all the other games, guys on my team, they rebounded. I rebounded. Margin is crazy. We hitting and going crazy. Yeah. So think about the game. And that's why the uh, Pitt didn't want to give me a lot of my games. Like, I never received none of my games at Axe from Pitt yet. Not yet. Since I left school, I was at Axe Pitt. I emailed the guy recently asking my games at Pitt. They told me they're going to give me games. They don't want me to show the truth, but I want to show more of these games to my family and my son and everybody else. Like, my son was here recently, and he was loving it, man. He enjoyed himself. And I was just like, you know, that, that was awesome because that's what I do it for, you know, for my, my kids, my family, so they can see, you know, what I was doing out here on the court. I wasn't just one of these guys just out here playing. No, I was the star of my team. I was somebody on my team. I was somebody in my conference. I made a name for myself, and I made my name international. And I made the sign I throw up international. And I made my sign so crazy that Gatorade wanted to use it. NFL players wanted to use it. All these other people. Now you got the x Now you got this. Now you got that. I'm just saying. None of them dudes are from the Bronx. None Very of them true. dudes play by Park. They have no connection to the X. If it was out already, it would have been out. Hey. One plus two, one is two. Never two and a half, baby. Never two and a
0: half. Never two and a half. Now, had, did did they tell you that they took money? Did they personally admit that to you? Or is that just a hunch you have?
1: Nah, it's not the hunch. I got the uh I got the word from the person that asked me. You know, when somebody tries to ask you to get you to feel more comfortable with something somebody else is doing, they be like, you know, this person, this person. This
0: and then man. you notice them having bad play.
1: Yeah, you can see the pattern. You can catch up. You know, we all we all watch my uh blue chips. We all yep. watch blue chips. So you can catch up. Shit, Stevie Wonder can see and feel that thing, man. I'm just saying. You see a guy that leads the, 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 the Nate, well, I'm going to talk too much, but, yeah, it was it was too much, man. You see straight finishes. Straight finishes and bucket getters looking like they, they can't see the rim, like the rim's too far away. So I'm sitting there looking like, you know, it's embarrassing. It's, it's nasty, but I knew people needed money, a lot of people on the team. But at the same time, I needed money, too. I'm from the projects. Everybody in my family didn't, I mean, you know, my mother and father didn't work. I mean, my father worked, but my mother didn't work. So, you know, we had it rough too, but I didn't go out there and compromise myself for no money because my mother and father told me never to do that. I don't have to owe nobody later. I don't have to look over my back or hear these extra stories. or feel any type of way in my heart, knowing I've done these things. You know what I mean? Even know like a lot of these people be lying and doing this, they got to look at themselves and feel this way in their heart and continue that. You get what I'm saying? I don't have to do none of that, I feel real good. I'm chilling, like I played hard, I did my thing, I did what I was supposed to do and I stayed in my lane. That's all you're supposed to do. You go to school, you play ball, you stay in your lane, you work hard, you meet people, you communicate with people, you converse with others, you know what I mean? You build some type of camaraderie and relationship with others and then you move on. Maybe you can start a business or maybe you just got guys or girls, ladies become good friends. You know, because that's what school's about, man. You know, be in building relationships and just communicating with others. You know, just treating people well, learning how to talk to people, learning, learning. you know, just getting knowledge. Then you're getting your information from school. So you have, like, a lot of things to take care of. But at the same time, now, when you're an athlete, you have all those things to take care of. And you have basketball. And you got to perform. man. you got to go to study hall after. And you got to do some more stuff. So you have interviews. You have a lot of stuff. No. So Tough.
0: Yeah, Did you confront the players that were doing this? Did you say anything to them at all or no?
1: Well, one of the players, I'm going to tell you this, man. One of the players almost got his head knocked off and stomped out in Tequila Willie's by my peoples and these other peoples from homestead that was with me, these other grown, grown men. He almost got pummeled to my pumble. Man, this is super pumpkin head. This would have been pumpkin head, pumpkin head man, I was like, so I had to stop my people and the other boy, the other dude was drunk and I'm telling him, like, yo, look, just go ahead, get out of here. Like, you know, what's it going to do to me? Like, I mean, now, but I mean, at the time, you know, what was it going to do for me to just quick one-bang him real quick? What's that going to do? I'm going to feel good now? They're going to take away all the games? They're going to bring them back? They're going to give me the championship rings? <laughs> no. You didn't feel what I'm saying? So, just like I didn't feel the type, like, feel real, real like a lot of animosity towards the Nada even though we could have won that game when he took off his sneakers. Yeah. It's things like that people like will hit you for and hurt you for because this is a part of their life and you messing up their life and their legacy but people understand your name is your brand too. What you represent, how you represent your family when you step outside that door every day is huge. People are watching every day so you're ruining yourself, your family's name, God's name, that he's blessed you, the life that he's given you. You're tampering with everything. So I didn't want any of that on my name. I just wanted that hard work and he came like this. He was straight up with you. If you said something like, he went at you like that straight that. Like, I'm not supposed to let anybody talk to me any type of way I want. I mean, they want to. My mother and father in the Bronx, New York, didn't raise me like that. Yeah. I'm a Cruisian king. I'm from St. Croix. I'm from the Bronx, New York. What would I look like doing? what I look like doing? I'm just saying. What about, like, well, I was boxing and doing all this karate for nothing? Yeah. Just to be a mummy? Yeah. What? I got marbles in my mouth now? So the only
0: confrontation about the point shaving was just that one night at Tequila Willie's and, you know, it, after that, you kind of just said I'm going to mind my own business because we all have something to lose from this pretty much. That's
1: it, man. That's it. Cause you go know, at the end of the day, I think of my son, I think of my family, like, you know, me leaving him and, you know, stuff like that. If I go to jail, prison, all of that, just uh, succumb to some bull, idiotic crap, putting hands on people, and it means nothing at the end of the day, or you have these other people just like, they don't think about anybody else's family, and these kids, and these people, like these older people that was on my team, they didn't think about their kids. That's how ignorant they were. Like, when you see people that are ignorant, they're dangerous, because they're not thinking that something can happen to them. That's how dangerous they are. So they'll put you in a situation as an official dude to or official person to want to do something to him physically, and they looking around like this. I don't know what happened. Look like Stevie Wonder. I just called to say, it's not good. It's just, it's just, it's just all off, but it's just sad that you have people out here in the world that really don't be thinking about their kids, their family members. You getting all these people angry and all that, and your kid got to walk somewhere. Right. Your dad, your aunt, somebody, mother. You mess with people's lives. You took money out their mouth. Yeah. You you made it harder for them to really live, exist, or or pursue that the real pursuit of happiness. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. you make it difficult. All you coaches, all the coaches that trash these kids and these other people, now they don't like sports no more, don't like this. You would like you're not thinking about the consequences? That's that's how dangerous people are. That's what I'm saying. So me saying that, I overstood the stupidity of the decision. I understood how idiotic it was. I understood how dangerous it was because, hey man, you take this money, you do this, you do that, to cover the spread, do this, what if you don't? Now who you got? Who you got, Tony Two Cheeks, the goomba coming to get you? Who you got, man? You know what I mean? You got your man Slickback Jeffrey over here, Who, who, who you don't know? Yeah. Or you got a regular guy named Thomas in a suit coming to get you, you just never know. So. Or a lady. This is what I'm saying. So y'all playing these games and putting yourself in harm's way. When you're playing this game, it's supposed to be pure. That's why I don't like some of these coaches and these other people in this game. They're not in there to help these kids speak properly in interviews. They're not in there to help these kids graduate on time. They're not really in here to help these kids get better. You see any type of player development in the last few years of Pitt? No. I ain't see it. No. Last four. And I love them, like love them. I love all those kids. Like literally the kids, I love them. Like to death, like, and all I wanna see is those kids, university, I rep, and other universities because it reflects on us as athletes, as sports, people that love sports, you know what I mean? Because we wanna see good basketball. We wanna see people do well. Yeah, That's what it's about when you enter a coaching job, you want your kids to do well because it reflects on you as a teacher. As a scholar, as a parent, maybe if you don't have kids, but just as a gentleman, or as a female, as a lady, as a woman, something.
0: Yeah. All right. So life after pit, um, you go, you go play, in you're. Uh, I'm, I'm, reading Romania, New Zealand, Canada, and you also played a little bit back in Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Explosion. Um, what was it? What was the competition like compared to playing in the Big East? Compared to playing even at Rucker Park? Um, was it different? How? And if so, how?
1: When I played in Germany my first year out and okay. Oldenburg, Oldenburg, Germany. Yeah, man. It was, um, at first it was rough because I didn't want to be there. You know, like, like I said, I didn't work my butt off and then work my, my tail off to play overseas. I seen other guys playing overseas and I seen them, excuse me. I seen these guys, they, they wasn't happy. You know, they was making some money, but they wasn't happy because they didn't feel like they was playing where they want to be. And when you're not happy and you feel like you're not where you want to be, it it messes with your mind too. So I was frustrated my first year. Like my first year, I was frustrated. Um, My first tournament, my first tournament, out, I did well. Like it was crazy. We went to uh, France, played against the French national team in a championship and played against Super Mario. Mario Bennett played for the Lakers back then and everything. And... Man, I, I locked up the uh, French national team point guard, got the buckets on him, got MVP of France, and I got a block shot to end the game on the point guard. He tried to take me off the dribble. I was like, yo, you're not doing this to me. You know how it feels to have a game winner put on your head overseas? From a man, look, the dude looked too old real quick. Like, it was just like, no, bro. Look, I just came from NBA workouts, scout Cowboy. I just came from everything else, and not me. I will not let you do this. Locked him up, blocked shots. I'm like, all right, maybe this thing isn't too bad. You know, this French playing over here, even though it was just for a tournament. And it was funny that Chevy Troutman just had left the day before we got there. They just, his team just left. So I was like, all right, that's cool. Uh, But the the thing is, they knew about Pittsburgh being there. The University of Pittsburgh, that's what I'm saying. So they're like, oh, the pit is here. Oh, I got my pit stuff. They're like, oh, pit, I see another... Oh, that's really cool. You feel what I'm saying? So we making this international. And then by the time I got done with that tournament, and me, I'm, I'm I'm real personal with the little kids and everybody. So I'm signing autographs out there after the game. I'm shooting with the kids. So I'm getting a lot of autographs, pictures, and stuff. So by the time we left, I gave away pit shirts, pit hoodies, everything. You know, so now these people know about pit and the X and everything. And that's what we were doing. We were just planting seeds. Boom, boom. That's all I started, just planting seeds. Boom, boom, boom. So... When we got back to uh, Germany to play in the tournament before the season starts, I get MVP of that. So I'm like, oh, I'm about to start. I'm starting point guard. I'm about to start the season off right. We playing against Jason Gardner and those guys that play the Arizona. He's out there playing point for a team, uh, uh, Telecom Bond and Bond, and uh, William Avery that played for Duke. He's out there playing for uh, Berlin, Albert Berlin. And uh, there, was, there was Chris Owens out there with him, played at the University of Texas it was a bunch of dudes out there. Casey Jacobson even came later to Bomberg later when they won the championship, all type of stuff. So it was it was good competition. It was tough. But at the same time, it was like I even had uh, Ernie Grunfeld's son. They used to play with uh, Bernard King, uh, Danny Grunfeld, played at Stanford. I had him on my team. So okay. it, it, was, it was interesting, man. You know, it was a fun thing. We got a chance to move around Germany. My guy T. Black from Milwaukee, he showed me a lot. Terry Black, he showed me a lot. And, you know, Tyrone McCoy, old the guy, he played out there like for like 10, 12 years already or something like that. So I was learning from the veterans, you know.
0: So, Carl, I guess as we wrap it up, let's talk about what you're doing now. I, I, I follow you on uh, social media and then your YouTube channel. What, what are you doing uh, for work and tell us more about the YouTube channel?
1: I'm, uh, I'm a player development coach, and I'm trying to get back into some basketball. I'm in great shape. I'm, uh, my YouTube channel is Respect My Journey, which isn't backing me. I know the uh, words are twisted right now. Pardon me. Yeah. And I, I started that a long time ago, over a decade ago, man. It was just, I went through a lot of rough times in life, and I have came out of a lot of rough times and a lot of darkness just trying to always believe in God and, and have his blessings and believe in his word. So. With that said, I was helping myself go hard. Like, I was just trying to like, really like, uh, how you say, um, uplift other people. Because I needed a hug at times. I needed somebody to talk to me at times, but I still didn't trust people because I seen how it was going when I did ask for help. When I did ask for help, I seen how people were waiting for me to just try to trash me and be like, yeah, I, can, I got you now. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, my fault. But yeah, with that, with that said, I was like, you know, hey, it's rough. It's a rough life. So I want everybody's journey to be, uh, to be respected. I want the person that recites poetry. I want the person that plays instruments. I want the athlete. I want the commentator. I want the, the, the uh, sports beats writer. You know what I mean? I want everybody because you're all human beings. And I was telling people, we all play a part in this earth to make it right, to help it move right, uh, work correctly. So we're all human beings on earth. We need to work together more. That's the respect my journey comes in respecting everybody's journey in the world because as a collective group in the world, we can make this Oh man, this world could be a super special place. Super nonviolent and just just a fun time, you know, a great learning experience. We can travel further places. Some of these border things can be lift off. There's no barrier, but the language barrier and that can be broken by us uh, communicating just people teaching each other. So I'm starting my Respect My Journey merch. I'm going to have the shirts, shorts, you know. I do workouts. I do personal training. I also do, like I said, the individual coaching and try to get people right. So everybody in the world, check me out on Respect My Journey. Carl Krauser, man, Christian King, that old black magic, baby, from the Bronx, New York, here with my man, Noah. Noah is the best right now. He's out. Check him out. He's hot. Just check out the highlight, man. We all love baby all right carl thank thank you so
0: much am i allowed to throw up the x i'm not from the bronx can i throw it up
1: x is for everybody. Here, throw, here, up throw it, for
0: it up with me here let me yeah. i want to do a gallery view here that way we can get a screenshot ready let's do there we go that's awesome all right carl thank you so much for uh joining and telling these incredible stories i really appreciate it and uh be sure to check them out on social media and support them what a great what a great conversation and uh Good luck next week because I don't know who's topping that one.